This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, everybody. If it's your first time with us uh, here at ABC Church, we give you a warm welcome. And if you're joining us online, uh, we give you a warm welcome too. This morning, we are continuing our penultimate message in the series, It's Okay Not to Be Okay. The series has been understanding what the Bible says about our humanity, what it teaches us about our broken selves. If you've read the Bible, you'll understand that you started in Genesis and it goes pretty soon straight into the fall. And the rest of the story of the whole of Christianity and the whole of the Bible is the story how broken man can find hope in God and can find life in Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great news? That we can find life and hope in Jesus Christ. When we decide to commit our lives to Jesus and when we become Christians and when we follow him and we too become disciples and follow hard after Jesus, it's a weird thing that happens. Is the problems are still the same. It's not that we suddenly are transformed in this radical, uh, into this radical world of Disney swirls and fairy dust and suddenly everything's disappear, everything disappears. We still find ourselves as Christians in the broken world. And we find ourselves there with all the problems and all the challenges that come our way. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, said this himself in John 16, 33. He said, in this world, trouble you will have. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And today, with the help of two very brave individuals that will shortly share with us their story, we're going to look at this huge, huge subject of grief. How do we cope when the people that we love most how do we cope when the people that we care for the, the most, how do we deal with it as Christians when they leave our world? I'm pretty sure that there's no pain greater than the loss of someone you love. When we watch movies and films and those of us who have watched Casualty so often on Saturday nights, we see that moment where the surgeon or the doctor opens the doors and comes out and tells a relative that their loved one has died. Have you noticed how everybody reacts and responds? Have you noticed that they don't matter-of-factly turn around and say, Oh, that's sad news. You see people physically fall to their knees. You see people opening out because that emotional pain that we go through is just so much to bear. We've all seen scenes, haven't we? And in my family, those of you that know me best all know the story, particularly Matthew and Emily and Mark and Alison. They all know the story in our family of a night that I sat down to watch a film called Ladder 49. And they are laughing right now. And I don't know what happened, but I got so consumed in watching this film about firefighters and a firefighter that had lost their life. And I was really into the story, but I found myself 
empathizing so much with the woman that was having that knock on the door to let her know that her life would never be the same again. And I don't know why I did it. I don't know why my reactions happened the way that they did. Maybe it's because Ian says I'm a big girl and maybe I'm more in touch with my feminine side than you are, Ian. (laughs) But I'd like to think that God has softened my heart. And I'd like to think that my heart breaks with what his heart breaks for. And whatever you are going through right now, God's heart breaks for you too. He is touched says the gospel. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities and our failings. And he absolutely cares. And in that situation that you are going through right now or the one that's down the track for you, I promise you that he's there with you. He's there with you in your grief. He's there with you in your sorrow. He's there with you in your tears. But it doesn't feel like it so often. The way that we are touched and the way that our emotions overwhelm us is so real. So that you know what I went through that night. And when I watched that film, I just began to weep uncontrollably. I cried so much that Ruth had gone to bed early upstairs. And I was watching this film on on Sky. And I woke my wife up with my tears downstairs. And so I had to explain to Ruth what had happened. And I said, Ruth. I was watching Ladder 49 and I just, I became unconsolable. So Ruth, being the kind, compassionate person that she was, decided to tell the whole of the family of this funny experience that I had had of crying myself like a baby. But let's see how you do. Because here's that scene from Ladder 49. Mike, tell Linda I love her, that I loved her from the second I saw her. Do you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Promise to take care of my kids. Tell them that I'm always with them. You tell, you tell them that. You hear me? I will. units evacuate the building immediately
never an easy thing saying goodbye to a brother firefighter. It's not. And this time particularly is difficult for me because I watched Jack grow into a, well, into one of the finest firefighters I've ever known. He joined this department because he wanted to help people. Who knows how many homes are still standing because Jack was there or how many lives were spared. He gave his life for that cause. We'll never forget you, Jack. And we are better for having known you. But I make you this one promise. Tomorrow, when that bell rings, we will be back on the truck because you were the bravest of the brave. People are always asking me, how is it that firefighters run into a burning building when everyone else is running out? Well, Jack, you answered that question by saving another man's life. Your courage is the answer. And today we will be as brave as you by not mourning you, but by celebrating your life. So I'd like everyone to stand up and celebrate the life of Jack Morrison. touching scene but that's a scene that's going to be replayed today somewhere on our planet a scene where someone is going to be told the news that a relative of theirs has passed away that film communicates that moment where Jack Morrison lays down his life for all of those people in that building that he tried to save and got trapped himself and so he ended up having to give his life to save others. Our world can change in a moment. Your world can change in a moment, even today. A world can change with a phone call. Our world can change with a knock on the door. Our world indeed brings its trouble. When Jesus said, in this world, trouble you will have. But the problem we have, you see, in our 21st century world is that everyone's lives are supposed to be strong and brave and successful and powerful and heroic. We are bombarded daily with images and stories of perfect people with perfect bodies and perfect brains and perfect emotions with perfect lives who when they are faced with problems and challenges and situations, they seem to roll through them victoriously, no problem at all. Nothing ever phases them. We are bombarded with images from Superman, Iron Man and the Avengers. For goodness sake, even Nemo and Dory seem to get over all the problems in the world without any problems or challenges whatsoever. 
they seem to have the happy ever after. Whereas so often we feel that we're living in just one big nightmare. In our world, it simply sucks. And the happy ever after dream seems a million miles away from that daily nightmare that we are experiencing. For the 21st century Christian, well, the problem's ten times worse for them. You see, we've all been taught that we're supposed to walk around with a great Joel Osteen smile and present to the world that despite its problems and challenges that it sets before us and that we experience, that we simply turn around and live the life that's called of us in Romans, where it says in Romans 8.37, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing phases us, neither death, hell, or the grave. That's what we're taught. And yet for so many of us, that go through it, it doesn't feel like it. And in my personal life, when somebody has dared go on to court Romans 8.28, when I'm in the middle of a storm, and to say, brother, do you know that all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose? I confess my sins to you willingly, let your I confess my failings to you here and now. I wanted to punch their lights out. Because the pain that I was going through was so real. And it's still real today. In truth, our world, our 21st century Western world in particular, has become grief illiterate. We don't know how to understand it. We don't know how to read it. We don't know how to cope with it. In fact, grief illiteracy is not my phrase. It's the words of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote a life-changing book that has begun to change our 21st century world in terms of how we cope with this subject of grief. And she wrote a marvelous book that I'd encourage you to read called On Grief and Grieving. And she dedicated her life to helping a society that has made it a a taboo subject to talk about death and to actually open ourselves to the emotions that we feel and to learn to lean into them rather than look upon them. What we tend to do is we lock things up and we throw the key away. If you're English here and of Saxon origin, you're encouraged to have the stiff upper lip. Keep calm and carry on. Well, good luck with that one. If you're a Celt, and Ian, if you're a true Celt like I, you're in touch with your emotions. And you love passionately. And you sing loudly. And you write poems about all the things that are going on in the world. And above all else, you are true to yourself and your wiring. And if you're a warrior, fight. But if you're a soft-hearted, gentle giant like I am, ten foot tall on the inside, then let's be true about how we are really feeling on the inside. Because it's not weakness to let someone know what you're going through. 
So those stages that she talks about in a book, denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance, those are all phases that we go through. Some go straight through them, others dodge a few. It's not an exact science, is grief. It's different for everyone. The 7.9 million people on this planet will experience those things in a totally different way. So there's no formula. There's no fixed answers. All there is is a path that I can give you from God's Word today on what the Bible really teaches. And what the Bible really teaches is this. It's okay not to be okay. Can you imagine if you and I had turned up to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and told him in his hour where he is sweating drops of blood to say, all things work together for good, Lord. He knew what was in front of him. But was he in turmoil over it in his very soul? Absolutely. He knew the torture and the torment was facing him ahead of him that day. So what we are going to do today is a little bit different. I'm encouraging you to rip off your stiff upper lip. I'm inviting you to crack open your hard heart. And what we're going to do today to help us empathize with others, and I, I warn you that in hearing this story from Martin and Helen in a moment, that you will likely be moved in your emotions. You will strike a chord with them. And what I want you to do in this place today, and if it has an effect upon us that is really helping us to work things through in our own lives, learn to be yourself in this room right now. You are in a safe place. There's pastors and elders here. And if needs be, and God is working through you, through their story today, because we are unlocking pains that are in our lives that God wants us to work through today, then let God work through you today. Will you do that with me? Will you do that with me? So what are we are going to do today? We're going to lean into the subject. And we are going to hear the story of faith. Some of you have never heard of faith. I haven't until recently. Faith was the first child of Martin and Helen who passed away on a Christmas day. And they are so brave in coming and sharing their story with us today so that we can help understand what they went through and so that we can understand too and then we'll turn to scripture. Should we do that? So I pray, and as I pray, can I ask you to pray with me? We're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for everyone in this room. And we're going to pray that God comes by his mighty Holy Spirit this morning and transforms our lives. Our dear and loving Heavenly Father, we come to you today through the free access that's granted to us to come into the very holy of holies and into your presence through the work of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to give us the freedom that we have today. And he ascended and went to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding on our behalf. And you long that we come and that we make our requests known to you. And when you went, you gave us the Holy Spirit. And he is present with us right here and right now in this room. We give your Holy Spirit free reign in this room today to work on our minds, 
and on our lives and on our hearts. And we open up our hearts to you and say, Jesus, we give ourselves to you. Jesus, you have me completely. As I give myself to you and as we lean into the story around the grief of Helen and Martin, we pray that you would just minister to us as then we open God's word, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Can you give a big round of applause as Helen and Martin come and join us here? Well, good morning. good morning. How are you doing? So tell us, Martin, briefly, tell us a little bit about faith and how the uh, journey uh, started. Because I was unaware until I caught up with you in, in the week and understood some of the story. I was unaware that you knew there was kind of trouble a ahead while Helen was carrying faith. So tell us a little bit about that first so that everyone can understand the backdrop of, of what we're going to talk about. I'll, um, is this on? Can people hear me? Fine. Um, those that know me know that I'm not char characteristically brief, but I'll try and be uh, as brief as I can. Basically, Helen, I met my wonderful wife in 2007. We got married in October 2008. And probably about six months after we got married, we were very joyful to find out that we were expecting a baby, which was, um, yes. Uh, phenomenal. We were really, really excited about it, usual kind of emotions. And um, then the weeks went by, 12 weeks were up. So those of you that have been through uh, the journey of childbirth and pregnancy and all the rest of it will know that at 12 weeks, you're summoned to the hospital to have your first scan where they kind of put funny stuff on the woman's stomach and do the ultrasound and... Uh, you hope and pray that there's a baby somewhere in there, which I suppose we went into that room expecting that to be the case. And there was a baby there. Um, and it was a friend of Helen's actually from school that was doing the scan. And uh, she was as excited as us because she's known Helen since you were about three or something. Oh, so exciting. And I suppose, yeah, there was in that moment that you never think you're going to be in where she suddenly went very quiet and said, I'm going to have to get somebody else in um, and I suppose we didn't really think anything at that stage but anyway a, a second member of staff came in and um, broke the news to us that there was something quite significantly wrong with the baby um, and that the prognosis wasn't at all good so um, yes there was a blur that afternoon it's interesting we were talking with Phil about this um, a couple of weeks ago and you know, Helen didn't remember bits that I remembered, I remember bits that she didn't, but basically we were called straight down to Glanguilly Hospital where we went and again were given the news that things were not at all good and we were referred to the Heath Hospital in Cardiff. We had about 10 days, I think, before our appointment there where we were told we'd be given a fuller picture of what was wrong and what was gonna happen. So it wasn't until we were actually speaking on that night that we taken together for me to understand the story a little bit more, Helen, that 
it became apparent to you that the knowledge of a lot of that, there were certain things that your mind already blocked out of. I didn't remember yeah. anything. So just talk that about that for yeah, a second. after that scan. I, he was saying, listen, we went to Glangwilly. I don't remember going to Glangwilly for that afternoon. After that scan, we had to go straight to Glangwilly. I don't remember that. I don't remember the doctor. I don't remember what she said. Martin said we went home. My mother and Andrew were away. I don't remember that. And we told my dad, I don't remember that. I don't remember that afternoon at all. Which is strange. I didn't realise that I didn't, you know, I, I must have, I don't, didn't realise I didn't remember it. But, yeah, so that was a blur. I, and I remember bits. I'm, I'm not brilliant with remembering details anyway. Andrew will tell you that. They're sort of part of my childhood I can't remember. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I don't remember that afternoon at all. It's a total blank. Yeah. Yeah, yeah other parts are vivid. But that afternoon is, yeah, blank. So things progressed and you had to go to Cardiff for further tests and everything else like that. And then, so tell us how they spoke to you about, you know, that situation and now how, how you were having to prepare for the December and how they were uh, going to take care of both of you and Faith while uh, Helen gave birth. Sorry, take off. Um, it was a, <laughs> you know, it's a hackneyed phrase, but it was a real roller coaster because we had that 10 days then after that initial conversation, which, I mean, you may ask us to say more later, but I mean, I just can't describe the feeling of absolute kind of disbelief, despair, I must have got it wrong, you know, and we actually went to, obviously had family, and we went to s some of the church leaders, and we said, can you just pray for us, you know, this is all a bit bad. And um, we went, as I say, about 10 days later to the Heath Hospital, to this place, called the fetal medicine unit and again I just think something there I think you know you sometimes in your life get these little glimpses of when things don't go right and you see all these people sitting there you know people think having a baby is a great exciting thing and it is and it, you know it's usually positive and I'd had two children from my previous marriage so I've been there before and it was you know all meant to be rosy and exciting but you're suddenly in this place with all these people looking incredibly worried and you know, what was being said earlier, Phil, by you, I think, you know, well, my life isn't quite happening like that. Anyway, so we go in to um, see the consultant, and uh, there was somebody else did another scan, and she said, um, so what did they tell you in Flashy? So we said what they'd said, and she said, that's really strange because this baby looks absolutely fine. I don't think there's any problem at all. So, of course, we were you know, completely elated, as you would be, and thought, you know, prayer works, that's amazing, that's really good, and, um, you know, huge weight lifted, and um, we were asked to go back, I think it was about two weeks later, they said, well, you know, routine is that we'll give you another scan just to check, but, you know, generally everything looks fine, can't really work out what happened, sometimes these things do. Um, so two weeks later, we went back, with a bit of trepidation, but... Um, Somebody else was doing the scan then and said, uh, well, actually, it's not quite like that. There are some things that are really wrong. So we'd gone from that kind of, you know, despair to, oh, my word, it's okay, back to, no, it isn't okay. And at that stage, we were told that she, um, we didn't know at that stage it was a she, but we found out later, but that she had spina bifida, so she would never be able to walk. Um, yeah, hydrocephalus. So there's a number of things wrong with this baby, which means you know she's going to be very unwell. Um, and then again, I'll, you know what happened was 
you know, well, the remainder of seven months of a lot of things going on, we kept going back to the Heath every two weeks or so, and halfway through the pregnancy, uh, somebody else was seeing us and then said, has anyone told you that there are big problems with the heart? <laughs> and by then, we're kind of like, you know, well, we'll believe anything at the minute. So we referred straight to the cardiac unit in the Heath where we were told that there were huge, massive problems with the baby's heart. So we were then referred to Bristol, which was the is the regional centre for heart issues with um, babies. And they're then followed about another kind of three or four months of going to Bristol every few weeks to be told, I suppose, really increasingly not very good news. So it wasn't the uh, best of times, I think it's... No, eventually the consultant in Bristol put it all together and said, look, you know, this is the big picture. And I think up to then doctors have been looking at individual parts, the heart and the... But this consultant said, I'm going to do an amniocentesis with your agreement and confirm what I think that it's a, um, oh, what's the word? Not, um, oh, chroma, it's a chromosome problem. So um, either Down syndrome or, but I'm, I need to do an amnio to confirm. So at that point, there was no risk to the baby. It was, it was like, I was like 36 weeks or something. So she did that, and uh, yeah, she had confirmed that the baby had Edward syndrome, which is a chromosome problem, um, which causes more severe defects than Down syndrome, and that the baby was unlikely to live, not um, unlikely to survive birth, and unlikely to live if it did. So, you know, and, and we'd known that. We, we knew that it was looking pretty bad, but then that was confirmed that. So then it was, you're not going to give birth, there's not going to be no active intervention when the baby's born, you're just going to go to Glanguilly and it's all going to be palliative care. So there'll be no special care, nothing. It'll just be, you know, hope for the best that she's delivered. And um, yeah, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was sort of a blow, but we knew, I knew, that that was probably the outcome. So then um, Glanguilly Hospital got in touch with us, and the midwives there got in touch with us, and there was a big birth plan. They knew who we were, that they knew we w when we'd be coming in. and So uh, no, we wouldn't be going in, and they didn't know anything about us. Everything was arranged that we would go in and deliver in Glanguilly, but it mm -hmm. would just be, you know, nothing else. You know? So, yeah. so during this time, you know, you're having to resolve all of this with a loving God that's got a, a plan for you. You're jumping onto some of those things with a better result on the scan and you shared with me uh, as as well Helen where you'd gone away to a Hillsong conference and you bumped into someone that had shared some things with you and that kind of give you hope as well tell us a little bit about that so that we can see this kind of the frequency of your journey yeah I think oh, it's different from the, and the you look back and I think there's loads of things I would do differently but at the time, going through it at that time, I wanted the pregnancy to be normal. I didn't want it to be all about there's something wrong with the baby and all doom and gloom. So I wanted to be positive. We, we, we believed that God could heal, and we, we took that view that God was going to heal, uh, and that prayed that God would heal. We didn't yeah. assume anything. And then we went to Hillsong, and the Hillsong conference that year was all about babies for some reason. And... Um, I, amazingly, Martin had met somebody backstage and she had a story of how her baby, they'd said that, and her baby was healed. And they said from the front, it was, it was amazing. I don't know. <laughs> it was almost like, it's incredible that that year was all about babies, wasn't it? And um, But we were believing for a miracle. So we were sort of, 
trying desperately to have faith for a miracle. And I think now that's what we were doing, I think, isn't it? Um, yeah, and I think there's some... Yeah, there, I mean, there are loads of lessons for us individually and as a couple in this. But as Helen says, I think, you know, from day one, we knew, and you know, we still know. I always say, if I met somebody else in the same position as we were in, I'd say, let's get somewhere and let's start praying, because I believe God can yeah. change this, yeah. and I believe he can. And yeah. we've had testimonies of people where he did. Um, so as, as Helen said, you know, we persistently prayed. I mean, it's a bit weird, because we decided for a whole range of reasons not to share that widely what was going on so obviously family knew um close friends knew but yes to the outside world everything was absolutely fine you know how many weeks till your baby's coming and everything and in a way that spurred us on a bit and we can have faith that whatever the doctors say is going to be different it's going to be different um and yeah the hillsong experience was just like that this woman you looked me in the eye and she said you, know, you just stand in faith and your baby's going to be fine and when you're in that position you take it because you say yeah that's what i want to hear and Yes, I believe God can do it, and I believe God's going to do it. And I suppose the learning is, and Helen got there earlier than me, <laughs> I think. And let's be really honest, I was getting a bit annoyed with Helen sometimes because she was saying, you know, I just sense maybe that isn't what God's going to do. And I was saying, you know, where's your faith? Come on. You know, and you hear stuff. People sent us DVDs and everything else that were saying, you know, if you have this much faith and if you, it was almost like if you get up in the morning and you do three circles around your bed and you pray this and you read this scripture. I mean, it was almost a bit like that. And when you're in a des desperate place, you'll do it because <laughs> you say, that's what it takes. That's what I do. Um, and I suppose, yes, the learning is, as I say, you know, nothing from that experience will say more, I'm sure. But you know, one of the bits of learning is nothing from that experience has convinced me God can't do it because I still believe he can do it. And I still believe that, you know, he's supernaturally mighty and can do these miracles because his word says it. And as I say, we know people who have experienced that. But, you know, it taught us, I suppose, to say, do you know what, sometimes you've got to say, God, you know, and it's, again, it's a bit cheesy, but I mean, it's the best way of explaining it is God is your will, not mine, because actually, you know, you're the one that's sovereign. And I suppose... <laughs> yeah, Helen came to a place before she was born. I probably came to it later where you say there's huge peace in that because you think actually you don't have to keep striving. It almost becomes about us then, doesn't it? Well, you know, there's something wrong with me because I'm not quite a Christian enough. I'm not this, I'm not that. And I think, you know, if ever of us ever find ourselves in that position, I just, you know, I just pray that you would be set free from that because actually there's a place of real peace and submission in saying to God, Do you know what, you're bigger than all of this. And don't make it any easier, doesn't make it any happier. But actually, if you're the person you say you are, if you're my father, if you love me that much, then you can, I can trust you completely, even when it looks like, you know, and I had a few conversations with God, I think you've really got this a bit wrong, because <laughs> it shouldn't be like this. But you know, do you know what, he's big enough to take that as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, I don't want to move on from this point without us all really, really understanding what Bible believing, correct Bible believing faith is. You know, don't listen to that nonsense that says it's all about faith. Jesus does teach that according to your faith, it'll be added to you. But there are some things that are just according to his will. You know, note that in the Bible, how much Lazarus, who was dead, how much faith did he have to believe that he would be risen from the dead? <laughs> Zero. Okay, so it's, it's not about faith. 
that's part of the story. But what the Bible does teach us and what, what we must build the framework of our faith upon is his will. The Bible teaches and Jesus teaches us according to his will, it'll be granted unto us. If you ask according to my will, he says. And even we learned in school, didn't we, through the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're calling down God into our situation that we don't know if we're going to get the result or not, but we're leaving it with him. And just something in closing, you know, just happened this week. Somebody this week asked me, can you pray for me? I'm going for a job interview this week. Can you pray for me that I'll get the job? And I responded by saying, I'll pray for you, but I'll pray for you that God's will is done with this job. Because you might be wanting to go and get this job, but he might have a better one for you down track, so he's going to say no to this one. So we need to pray biblically and to say, your will be done. So whatever you're facing this week, your will be done. And I think you make a really strong point there, Martin, in your situation, isn't it? It's just learning to pray and believing that God could step in, but also believing that his will needs to be done through the situation. Isn't it? And it's not, you know, I can <clears throat> sit here, what year are we in now? 2016 seven years later and it sounds easy it's incredibly hard <laughs> to get to that place because we don't want it to we? we want you know and it's what phil said already today you know we've just got this little picture of god that you know if we're good christians and we do the right things then everything's going to be rosy but i think deep down and helen being a fantastic woman that she is and a woman of real faith got there sooner as i say is the point do you know what it's not it's not always like that but that doesn't change who god is mm -hmm. Yeah, because that's when we need God, isn't it? When it doesn't happen, right? Anyway. So, Helen, take us to Christmas Eve then. And uh, so you arrive at the hospital, you go through the whole process. So tell us about, you know, the, the moments uh, after faith is born and, and what you were going through together. <clears throat> um, I think, I think I knew in my heart that she wasn't going to live. So I, I felt prepared in as prepared as you can be for that. I just wanted her to be born. My hope was, and I really prayed that she would be born alive. I wanted to meet her, and I wanted to see her. Yeah. I wasn't going to cry. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, so I sort of had, had, as you know, a bit of, you know, I went in. She was full term. She went to full term. It, it, the labour was normal. Um, it was quick, which I was grateful for. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, so she was born and um, the midwife was all, you know, she was lovely, wasn't she? She was so positive. Come on, you can do, you know, she was just normal. As, um, and then she, she was born and she was alive. She was alive. So I, I was just grateful. I was grateful that she, we could meet her, we could hold her. And um, she wasn't suffering. She wasn't in pain or she wasn't in distress. So I kept asking if she in distress, but she wasn't. She was, you know, comfortable and peaceful. And then I knew, I knew that she wasn't going to be healed. I knew, you know, because I feel God is gracious and, he, you know, he's with you in it. And I had peace that, you know, she wasn't going to be healed. So then it was just a matter of waiting then. And they'd said, you know, it's not going to be, she's not going to live for long. But um, we were just with the nurses were fantastic. They brought a bed in for Martin, so we were together the whole time, and um, yeah, so that was Christmas Eve, and then, yeah, Christmas Day came, and you went home for a bit, 
and then you came back and then um would you wanna yeah i mean it was again you look back and it was just so surreal but it was you know the thing we didn't say was which you know there are little miracles in all of this so as well, helen did say she was full term her due date was the 24th of december and i remember helen saying really early on when we had the thing she said i know i'm gonna have my baby at christmas i know it and it was right and that was a little promise of god that came true so yeah she was born on her due date the 24th of december and um yeah so christmas day then so i went home to get a few things and i was coming back to the hospital and it was it was one of those winters there were about three winters in succession where it was like really really icy i remember just driving even the sort of dual carriageway was a bit of a bit hazardous and i got this call and it was the nurse and she said where are you and i was sort of midway to Carmarthen by then and she said you better get back quick because i think you know there isn't long left so um went as quickly as i could arrive back at the hospital and helen again i'm just going to say it if you ever want to see a woman of faith <laughs> it's my wife which is another great blessing that god's given me because you know just so graciously and peacefully helen was just nursing her and um she had kind of got past a bit of a bad phase and she and was very quiet and they were giving her morphine and everything so she wasn't in the sight this bit agitated and she responded didn't she i think that's the thing you know we how blessed we were that we had our baby that she responded we got pictures of her she couldn't feed but you know you gave her milk with a syringe and everything but she was crying for a bit of food and you know although she was so ill you had all that kind of to i suppose experience which you could love her and look after her yeah she's a real person and um anyway we had lunch and it was so weird kept thinking it was christmas day well those of you that know me know that when they came to the door and said oh do you want lunch and they realized things was a bit wrong they were going away i said no i'll have lunch so um I we had uh, it's the only time i've ever had christmas <laughs> christmas dinner in hospital it was quite nice actually and uh we uh yeah got through that and it must have been about mid-afternoon we were just holding her and helen being a nurse and she knows about these things she just said you know she's gone and she had just gone so peacefully there was no you know agitation and all the rest of it which in this in the midst as well of complete despair and unhappiness was you know a real blessing again that we could say you know, we didn't see our child really suffer in that horrible way and so that was that i mean it was tough then as well to obviously have to tell people because that's the other thing you think well then a lot of people don't know about this and i remember one of the particularly difficult things was phoning my two older daughters who we had not told about the problems and to kind of tell them you've your little baby sister has died and yeah don't want to have that conversation again but um yeah that was it and then i suppose you know just again to think of where you know in the midst of all of this so we didn't get the outcome that any normal person would want but you just see little glimmers so i remember then the next day was boxing day and obviously you then have to go through the you know a lot of people know about this you have to go through the sort of procedures so we had to get an undertaker and um i phoned a few and didn't get any joy and one of the nurses said oh try this undertaker some of you may know mrs bloke by the name of win bishop in gorslaz they said give him a call and uh i just remember phoning him up and from the other people i'd phoned up again i'm not having a go at anybody but it's their kind of job and i remember one undertaker i phoned and they said well we'll get someone as quick as we can you do know it's boxing day don't you 
And I do remember saying, don't think I do. I know it was Christmas Day yesterday, my daughter's died, so I need... But this wind bishop came on the phone, and he was the most gentle man. He said, look, I'm a bit... I'm busy today, but he said, if you can just give me, you know, till late afternoon, I'll be there. And um, he arrived at sort of tea time, and... Um, you know, I had to go down and, and give faith to him. And I just can't describe how gracious that man was. And you just think, yeah, God, that is your provision. And, um, yeah, we then went home and he came around the next day to see us. And we started talking about funeral arrangements. And, you know, we were able to share our faith with him. We talked about church and um, he said, and again, you know, people talk about coincidences. You know, they're not coincidences because we found out in conversation that him and his wife had lost their first daughter. And so there was just this empathy which, you know, was tangible. And I remember him saying, you know, we, we arranged we're going to have a little ceremony at home. But he said, you know, she's up in the chapel of rest in a little coffin that I've made her. And he takes such pride in his word. And I'm like, don't ever want to be an undertaker. But I suppose if you're going to do it, you know, he's, he's very into his job. But he said... Um, <laughs> You know, she's so telling us all about this. You know, it was such pride. You know, I've got his little white coffin and all the rest of it. And at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, I've got the checkbook out and said, well, how much do we owe you? And he just looked at us and he said, you don't owe me anything because I'm not going to charge you. So it's just like, yeah, I just can't describe it. But this being in this place of despair and unhappiness that I'd never been in. But you think, do you know what, God, you're so gracious because you just reveal yourself in really important ways. And... Mm. Um talking about that um revealing him in important ways tell us about the situation where you met him again when a year later you'd gone back to the grave and how you just bumped into the undertaker again how these little yeah it was, it was a couple of years it must have Sorry. been because we <coughs> had had lily by then um and that's the other thing i just want to say another bit of god's graciousness sometimes when we were sitting in this church and our kids are at the back being really rowdy <laughs> you get slightly annoyed with him. Well, I do, you might not. But, you know, <laughs> every morning I wake up and say, God, you are gracious because you restored and you've given us two amazing children. And, um, yeah, something I just wanted to say, and it was interesting because Mike quoted from Philippians at the beginning of the service, and I think it's Philippians 2.27, I think I've written it down, where Paul is talking about Ephroditus and he was going to go, he was going to send him to the Philippians and... He said, I don't know what the background was, but Aphroditus nearly died, and he was obviously healed. And God, and Paul said, you know, God save me from sorrow upon sorrow. And just before we found out we were expecting Lily, I had, it doesn't happen to me very often, but I had this very clear scripture, and it was that. And I said to Helen, you know, I believe God's going to do something amazing. And by the time... We had to go through the anniversary of Faith's death, which is obviously Christmas, and we were a bit nervous about that. You know, in time for that, we'd had the wonderful news we were expecting another baby. And it didn't take away that pain, but it just made it so much easier. So, you know, praise God for that. But anyway, it must have been the year after that then. You know, we had Faith buried, and uh, she's in the grave is in Fleshley Cemetery. We don't make a big thing of going there, but it's nice that it's there. And we always go on her birthday on Christmas Eve, don't we? And... Um, we were there with Lily by then, sort of six months old, in the back of the car. And as we drove up to the grave, who should be there but 
win bishop. <laughs> well, I suppose it's not that surprising that you find an undertaker in <laughs> a cemetery, but... <laughs> But it's a bit bizarre that he was there as we drove up. Anyway, he was chatting to us, and he was so lovely, and how are you getting on? And we said, well, you know, we're so pleased to tell you that we've had another baby, and uh, she's in the car, so we went up, didn't we? And we, Lily was sitting there. We just opened the door, and he just said, oh, you know, I'm just so, so pleased for you. And he just, as he was going, he slipped us something into my hand. It was just a £20 note. And I said, what's that for? And he said, it's, you know, just because I'm so happy for you. It's a little Christmas present for your daughter. And you just think... Wow, I love Win Bishop. I'm declaring <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So, you know. So tell us where you are now. With, uh, you know, is everything resolved? Closure? Because grief is. Uh, we're told that it takes you know three, four years sometimes to work through stuff. Is uh, you, you know where are you now in resolving uh, a lot of uh, of the experience that you went through? I, I think I think it's resolved. Um, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because um, it never goes away. And anybody who's lost a loved one knows that, is it? Never goes away. No. Um, the pain of losing somebody you love never goes away. Um, and the feeling of loss, I don't think, goes, will ever go away. Um, but I think, yeah, I, and I don't expect it to, in a way. But I'm... Uh, I feel, and I felt at the time when it happened, um, I was reading Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, and I, I just felt, you know, I, d I don't understand why. I, I, I don't, you know. Um, I don't understand, not why I went through it or anything like that, but I don't understand why, God, you can do it why you didn't do it. I don't understand why, you know, sometimes you heal some people and others, and I don't understand it to this day mm. but I don't feel I need to understand it I don't carry that sort of burden of needing to know why or have any answers for it I accept that I don't know and that's okay with me um, but I felt at the time that God was like you said before the service God oh Mike oh God was weeping God wept with us I mm. felt that at the time that God was weeping with me and I, I felt that he wasn't um, being a, like a cold, faraway God, I felt that He was with me, and He wept with me, with us. And I and I had a real assurance that God is good, and it's like He was He, sort of. So no matter this horrible thing has happened, God is good. I yes. am good, and it yes. doesn't change His goodness towards us. And Psalm twenty three says, "No, surely mercy and goodness will follow me all the days of my life." And uh, I just felt, you know, I am good. And I and I am with you, and I'm weeping with you, but I, I know, and I will be with you in the days ahead. You know, so the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want, and He leads me beside still waters. And I, and I felt that His presence with me, and I and I know I feel that. You know, I think if we hadn't had more children, I'd be in a very different place. I think mm. I don't know, but I think so. I think you know, Lily and Thomas just totally brought healing. And yeah. so much joy. And, um, you know, so Christmas isn't sad. And I think people always ask me, Christmas, how are you? And I feel guilty because I should be more sad. But you can't be sad, can you, when they're bounding down the stairs and, you know, um, there's no whatever. So I feel that although I, she'll never be replaced, she'll um, ever. But I know that where she is, that gives me great comfort. I don't feel bereft that I'll see her again. 
and I don't need to know why, um, but I'll always feel a loss, but that's okay. Mm. It's okay, that's where I am. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I'm gonna sing Helen's praises, because I, I just say, you know, she's phenomenal. <laughs> and I think, you know, about three weeks after it happened, and Helen used to lead worship in our church then, and she just said, you know, I've got to get up and sing, so I've got to praise God. And I'll be really honest a bit, me was thinking, well, I respect you doing that, but, you know, it's as much as I can do to get myself to church, because I know that I need to do that, but I'm not really feeling it. But I think that's one of the first lessons is you can be, you can have gone through exactly the same experience, you know, your husband and wife in this case, and yet you deal with it differently because we're different aren't we so it took me a longer time to get to that place but I suppose there's a lesson there a we've got to bear with each other but secondly God knows that so it's not get shrouded in guilt and they all know Helen's much more spiritual than me and she's going you know I went through a bit of that but I think I learned you know, it's not about that is it because God knows me and he knows Helen and he'll you know he's, he, he's after us so you know he'll he'll you know, restore you in the way that works for you. So it took me longer. I agree completely with Helen that I think having the other two children is, is you know, made it much less painful than it might otherwise have been. But I suppose for me, you know, there's two things. I mean, you know, people sometimes say, well, what, what did that do to you in the long term? And I think, you know, the first one is we've mentioned it already now that I think, you know, we don't know what's in front of us, do we? But I think, you know, whatever else happens as Helen has put so so well I think that you know we let's stop trying to second guess and understand God or, or you know understand God That's you know if you say why did it happen I don't know what happened apart from physically let's be honest I know this will be news to some of you but we're not that young as parents <laughs> <laughs> so you know <laughs> did anyone know that so you know um we were either in or verging on well I certainly was in my 40s Helen's a bit older you know the biology is there are risks when you, you have babies at that age. So, you know, why wouldn't that, why wouldn't we be affected by that? That's lives. So on one hand, you can say, well, biologically, yes, I can see that, you know, it's still very unlikely, but it happened. But, you know, why did God let it happen? I don't think it was God's perfect will for our lives. I think God sits there go, right, Martin and Helen, I'm going to give you this great tragedy, because that isn't God's heart. But I think sometimes we say, we've got to, you know, let him be sovereign and say, well, okay, you didn't do it this time, God, but actually, what are you going to do through it? And I've mentioned some of the things he's done through it. Um, and it's such a place, as I say, of freedom, where you can say, I don't have to strive. I don't have to, and I don't have to be an apologist for God to kind of explain to people, this is why he didn't do it. Or, you know, I just think that's God's territory. It's not mine. I don't need to explain it. But I think the final thing for me, and I always pray this, is to say, God, you know, I'm a bit of a people person. I love chatting to people and everything else. And I think, you know, if there's one thing we can bring out of this is to say it may be people are in a different situation, but having been in a place of despair and hopelessness and questioning God and all the rest of it, I say, God, please, you know, let me be a, a kind of true friend you know, a true Christian to those people. So exactly like you, Phil, I had a few people who were lovely people who would come up and say, I believe in kind of six months you'll get a revelation of why this happened. You just think, you know, I really want to kick your head in, but I won't because they were in church, B, you're the pastor. No, you weren't the pastor. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> <coughs> but, 
But seriously, I don't have to go up to somebody who's going through something and say, oh, do you know what, I've got a bit of an answer for you, or God Come will give on. you the answer. That's right. It's just to say, do you know what, God loves you. And I may not even have to say anything, I may just have to go up and put my arm around that person. And yeah, the whole theme of this series, which every time you've preached, Phil, on it, is true, is just to say, you know, you don't have to because you're a Christian be okay and be sorted. And if you come to church and you're saying, I'm angry with God, I'm cross with God, I don't know what to do, then, you know, please God, I'll be the person that will sit next to that person and just say, I'll listen to you and I'm not going to correct you, I'm not going to, because actually you don't need that. So, and there's a legitimacy, isn't there? I think I, we said to you, I said it to you before, Phil, I think it's this weird thing. If you look back at it and you say, would you want to go through that again? Because I'm a human being, it's categorically no. But there's something about having gone through that, it's changed my attitude and it's softened yeah. me to be able to say, as I say, you know, I don't need the pat answers. I don't need to, that's not what God's asking me to do. God, you know, if Jesus came into this room and you were, you know, crying or suffering, he'd just come up and put his arm around you, wouldn't he? He wouldn't stop preaching at you. Yeah. It's not the God that we are. So I think, you know, through all that, there's just a revelation. I just say, you know, if we as a couple and as individuals, if we could just be people that people can come to and say, don't, you won't get any heavy stuff from us. <laughs> But hopefully you'll just get understanding hearts. And do you know what? I think, church, that this is the second lesson from this story, is that the only answers that you have to what you are going through or what you have gone through is the answer that's inside your own head. Some of you are, have taken experiences that you've gone through and you've come up with an answer for God on his behalf for them because our faith badly taught us says to us that there must be a reason for this and so we have to come up with a reason don't we we, we, we have to have the why answered and the reality of our faith is if we can answer all the whys in the end we actually become God do you realize that it's only God who's all-knowing and we want to know and we want to put ourselves in the position of God and we want to answer the questions. So if your mind is prepared to take this truth from God's word, for you to realize right now that some of you don't have any answers and that's cool, but some of you that have answers, they might not be God's <laughs> answer. It's the answer that you've made up on God's behalf. Are you following me? So the teaching of scripture is that we trust the Lord our God with all our hearts, and that we don't lean on our own understanding, but that we acknowledge him in all our ways, and he'll direct our paths. And we've all got it written inside our Bible from Auntie Bessie or whoever, haven't we? <laughs> but we don't live it. And when circumstances come, when we lose the job, or we get that injury, or we get that news about a terminal illness or we lose a loved one we feel that we need to come up with answers for God answers about our children answers about situations and circumstances there are no answers only the ones we give ourselves but there are answers that are to be found in God's word that we'll be turning to shortly that's what we can rely on those answers are true that he has a plan for us. And what we have to do as believers, and that what you two and I, I, do you know what? You inspire me. Don't they inspire you? 
you know, to... Uh, we, I, when they were sharing with me at the house, I was crying more than them. And I was thinking, why am I crying? You know, they were explaining everything because they've right-sized God and the situation through it. And that's how you inspire me, is that you understand that God is good. And you understand he's got God's will for you. And the rest of it maybe will have answers down the track one day. Hey, Indeed doesn't really matter does it and we still deal with some things you, you know um helen was uh sharing as well and uh, i'm conscious of time um but one of the kind of the, the consequences of this helen was saying that you know when the children are ill she gets thoughts that come to her mind i'm not going to lose another one you know so there's lots of things in our lives that we still have a cross to carry and we might have right-sized and kind of resolved things but we're never away from those scars that they've uh, left on our lives come on let me pray with you and then we'll jump into God's word come on can you raise your hands towards these two people can you father God we thank you for Helen and for Martin we thank you that they are a gift to our church and we thank you how I believe that their story is going to help so many different people to be set free to understand that God is good that you have a great will for us Lord if we step into it and understand, Lord, that if we acknowledge you in all our ways, you truly will direct their paths. Bless them extravagantly. Lavish on them and their children. Hedge around them, I ask in Jesus' name, as you prosper them and as you bless them. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you give them a round of applause? Thank you. Thank you. So I'm conscious of time and we're just going to sum up quickly with three things that we can learn about grief that are to be found in the Bible. I'm not going to turn to the scripture, but most of us are familiar with the story in John chapter 11 of where um, Lazarus dies. And there's a pattern that's given us in Lazarus, and I'm going to share those three things with you uh, quickly here in terms of what the Bible teaches about dealing with with grief and I'm going to use this phrase lean in lean in so the way that I believe the word of God teaches us to deal with these situations in our lives is to lean in not to lock it up but to lean in and the first thing that I want to say is when we're leaning into the situation when we're leaning into what has happened there's a feeling of insecurity in it because we don't know what's going to happen if we actually lean thing into something and just let go and let God so for example if we lean into the situation about our grief if we lean into our emotions and how we're feeling what happens is we're likely to lose it but the reality of is the reality of it is we regularly lose it of our emotions anyway I'll just share with you one story in my life of uh, the time uh, about eight months after my father had gone and he'd uh, gone to be with Jesus and I went into the garage I'm doing some DIY and I picked up a hammer all I did was just lean across and picked up the hammer but it was a hammer and I don't know whether dad had been working with other farmers on a job but he had written in his very own handwriting and had burnt it with probably a soldering iron or some kind of branding iron he had written into the handle DJM in order to identify it 
as his hammer. And so I went to grab the hammer. I picked it up. I'm in the garage. I didn't leave the garage for 10 minutes because I picked it up and it just brought a range of emotions back to me. And what the world teaches us, what our 21st century world teaches us is that we're supposed to suck it up and just get on with it. There is power in our tears and our emotions. There is power in letting them go. I say it on the authority of Jesus. What did he do when he heard the, uh, the death of Lazarus? Shortest verse in the Bible. What did Jesus do? Jesus. Sorry? He did not get a stiff upper lip. He did not contain himself together and say, I am the leader of the disciples. I am the son of God. I must show that I'm strong in this situation. What did he do? Wept. Can I encourage you to cry? Some of you here have never cried. And I believe if you allow God to melt your heart, I believe that in the, the way that God has shaped us, that we just let a load of stuff out. And that day, I came back in, after, and thank goodness the girls and everyone had gone out shopping that day. But if you'd come back and you'd call around my house and say, what have you been doing this morning? I would have said to you, well, I've been doing some DIY job around the corner. And then for the last 10 minutes, I've actually been crying in the garage. I can remember it. I picked up the hammer. I got down. And the pain. But God was healing my heart. God was resolving some things in me. So can I encourage you? Lean in one. Lean into the situation. Lean into it. You're not going to go mad. You're not going to lose yourself. And lots of you think, I must be losing my mind. Here I am six years or seven years after something's happened and you get a memory and it comes back to you. Just let it out. Let it out. Jesus wept. So we can too. Secondly, lean in, firstly, lean into the situation. Secondly, lean into conversation. So what we do, there's two dynamics that are at work here. The dynamic is, when you're the one that's hurting, you want people to be around you. You really do. If you're a person that's really good and open and have healthy relationships, then you need, in that moment of pain, to have people around you. Okay, you can see it in the story of Jairus when he loses it. You see all the, the mourners. That's what would happen in that culture. It was okay to lose it in that culture. In that culture that they were living in, which is Jesus' culture, it would all have a great cry. And how great it was on the day here when we were saying farewell to one of the founders of the house, where we didn't have a dry eye in the house because we were all celebrating celebrating the life of Ivion. And yet at the same time, we're all resolving the pain of the loss at the same time, together as a community of believers as we are here today. So lean into the conversation. And I know what you're all going to say. Because you're all going to say, well, what would I have told Helen and Martin in that situation? Do you know, it doesn't matter. You don't have to have the answers. You just need to be able to tell them, you know, just walk in, hug them. Just be with them. Don't worry about what you've got to say. Sometimes just being there is enough. But lean into the conversation. So twofold, be there as a person, as a side of someone to allow them to talk and speak. 
And then secondly, don't go in with a lecture, please don't do that, of how there are answers, because there aren't any. There aren't any. There's the answers that's in God's word, which is, he is with you. He loves you. And we can encourage people with, a, with God's word in that situation. So we come alongside people through the conversation. I can only imagine Andrea and Irwen. I can only just imagine what you were going through when you have to face them for the first time after. All of those thoughts that all of us in the room have, which is, what are we going to tell them? What am I going to say? It doesn't matter what you're going to say. Just going to be with them. Just going to hold them. Just going to lean into it in terms of conversation and be with them. And then finally, community. Lean into situation, lean into conversation, and lean into community. I've got to tell you, Ian has spoken enough on this subject of where isolation leads you to. Don't isolate yourself in these situations. Lean into them and get into community. Get alongside people and be with them. And that's what Mary and Martha did in the story of Lazarus. They leaned in. They were all together. There was crying and wailing. Jesus even wept himself. There was conversation. There was reasoning. They, Mary and Martha even turned around to Jesus and said, Look, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. They're having a, a dialogue over what's going on. Not trying to come up with answers, just speaking about the situation. And the biggest thing, the community of believers around them. They're together as family and, the and they are together as people. So let's us be people that live godly lives when it comes to how we too deal with grief. Let's be open. Let's lean into it. Let's have the conversations, deal with the situations, and live in the wonderful community that God has called us to live. Thank you, Mike. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.